So we're still in this series uh, called Culture, and, and as we've been talking, um, Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter five through seven, he, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so as he brought his disciples up onto the mount, we often call it the Sermon on the Mount. Within the Sermon on the Mount are the, is the Beatitudes, or other Beatitudes. And as he's as he's talking, he's again he's laying out this is what my people will look like. This is the culture in which. This is my culture. This isn't the culture that you're used to. I believe that's what Paul picked up on when he says, don't conform any longer to the culture of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so when we look at this culture that Jesus talked about, you know, we're going to be in it for, you know, as we talk about it here in this series, we're going to be in it for a little while as it's extremely powerful. And Jesus, as he was talking to them, he laid out the Beatitudes. We call them the Beatitudes, and that's where we're at now. Blessed are those who... Um, that mourn, blessed are those who are, are, are at the end of their rope, or you know, and on and on. He says, "Blessed," meaning that if this is the if this is your characteristic, if this is who you are, you're going to be extremely blessed. You're going to have that makoria. You're going to have that life to the fullest. This is what it means to have life to the fullest. Now, as you read the Sermon on the Mount, I can't think of another thing that would be so much more hard. It's extremely hard. It goes against every. It goes against everything about us. And you know, living here in this human world, this the, our humanness. You know, uh, this this world that is so broken. You know, we we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and it's literally the antithesis of the culture in which we live in. And it's so hard. And for some of us, we want to say, "I can't do this." The heck with it. It's too hard. And I want to say, keep on keeping on. This is what it's about. It's about being uh, the people that God has called us to be, and this is what His people will look like. The, you know, we're going to look different. We're going to um, we're going to literally stand in opposition to the world. And as you read down through the Beatitudes, and there's that last part of the Beatitudes which brings us all hope that says, if you're all of this, you're going to be persecuted. And it's like, oh, that's great. <laughs> this is hard enough as it is. And then if I can remotely take on these characteristics, now I'm going to be persecuted. But think about it. Logically, that's what's going to happen. Because it's literally the antithesis of what's taking place in the dominant culture today, in our world. I don't know if it disturbs you, and this is another message for another time, but it amazes me. It's like every single week we read about churches denominations taking different views on their stances. And it's quite disturbing, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but you know, when it comes to the definition of family, when it comes to the definition of marriage, we are hitting hot topics now. It's pressing in and around us. The question becomes, will we be conformed to the culture out there, or will we stand and say that's not what we believe? We believe that the Word of God states these things about marriage. We believe that the Word of God states clearly these things about the family. We believe that the Word of God states these things about being godly parents. We believe that the Word of God states these things about you name it, fill in the blank. It's, it just it scares me because in one sense it scares me because I'm thinking, what will Element do? What will we do as a group of people? Will we conform to the culture out here or will we stay true to the culture in which Jesus articulated and say, this is who we are and we will stand regardless if we're persecuted or not? And I get that that's going to be hard. 
I get that. I understand that. I get that we have family members that go the different direction. I get that we have friends. And, and I mean, it's really hitting close to home. But what, who are we going to be? Are we going to be people that says, we believe that the Word of God teaches this. And we're going to stand on this. Regardless of what happens around us. Regardless of the persecution we may take, not physically, but maybe you know emotionally or, or spiritually or whatever. Regardless of that, we are going to stand on what we believe the truth is as it's spelled out in the Word of God. Do you understand why it's so critical for us to know what the Word of God teaches? To, to wrestle with it. To, 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 to digest it. To spend time laboring over it. To understand what we believe. This is what I believe. And this is how I'm going to, you know, how I'm going to live it out. And so Jesus comes and he says, This is the culture. And he said, and, and he goes and he says it too. You know, when he starts getting into the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, You've heard this. And we're going to get to that after the Beatitudes, but Jesus says, You've been taught this. You've been taught this, but I'm telling you, it's going to be this. <laughs> You've been taught not to murder. You've been told. You've been taught not to murder. But I'm telling you, if you even have hate in your heart, that's just like killing. Whoa. I mean, now he's really pressing it in, right? Do we take those things and say, ah, I don't know if he literally meant that. I don't know if he, I think it was more metaphor. You know, this, you know and we start debating and going in all these different directions. Or do we look to the Word of God and we say, you know what? Jesus is calling us to a completely different style of living. He has a different culture and it stands against in opposition of the dominant culture out here that we face in a broken world. And we may face persecution from co-workers. We may face persecution from family members. We may face persecutions from friends. We may face persecution from uh, other individuals within our schools, wherever it is, but we are going to stand and be the people that God has called us to be. And so he lays out the Beatitudes and he begins to talk and he says to his disciples, and the first one he says is, blessed are they that are broken. Blessed are they that are at the end of their rope. Because that's when you're going to discover God. Because you don't have anything else to lean on. You have nothing else to lean on. You don't have anything else to grab for. You have reached the end of your rope, and now you're at that place where you say, I'm going to completely surrender to God. I don't have anything else in Jesus. Here I am. I completely surrender to you. And consequently, what happens, you see as we go through all these Beatitudes that they keep building, they just kind of build on top of one another. Once you're at the end of your rope, now you can mourn because now you look at your life in the past and you see how much it grieved God and you see how much things in our world, the culture out here grieves God. You start seeing the world the way God sees it, the way Jesus sees it, and it grieves you. It brings grief to you. And so you're at the end of your rope. You grieve because you're starting to see things the way Jesus sees things. You become this person that is meek. How can you not become meek when you've accepted the grace of God when you get that you don't that you don't that you don't deserve any of this and you look at it and you say who am I to cast a stone who am I to judge and you become a person that is meek and then you become a person who begins to hunger and thirst for righteousness God's righteousness you hunger and you thirst for that. And then look what happens when you're, when you're broken, when you're mourning and grieving over that. You become a meek person. You begin to grieve over righteousness. What takes place? The very next thing that takes place, you become an individual that's full of mercy. 
Your hearts are cha- your heart is changed. You become a person that is that is full of mercy. That says, I, you know, I, again back to the grace thing. I've been extended grace. Who am I to stand and not extend grace? That doesn't mean you condone things, but it means you you can you, you you're able to extend grace. And then from there, you become a person that is pure in heart because you're th- hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness. So your heart begins to change. It becomes more molded to God to, to the ways the the desires of God. So, and your heart becomes pure. And what happens when your heart becomes becomes pure, you become a peacemaker, which is what we're going to talk about today. You become a peacemaker. Now, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Because I think this is something that we've we've kind of struggled with over the years in defining. Because when we oftentimes when we think of peacemaker, I think we think of peacekeeping. And some of us say, "Well, I think you're just splitting hairs." I don't know if I am or not. I think there's a big difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. I think peacekeeping can be somewhat passive. I think peacekeeping can be something where, you know, I'll just keep my mouth shut in this particular situation. I just won't say anything. I'll just be a doormat in order for to keep peace, right? Peacemaker may be the times where you have to have a conversation with someone, where you have to go to someone and say, I, I you know, and, and stand up and say, I don't believe in this, but I'm not going to cast stones here. Peacemaking may be in situations where you are extending forgiveness to people that have hurt you, even though they're not asking for it. That's a hard one, is it not? The last thing I want to do is give grace and mercy and be meek to someone who's hurt me. Here's the thing, though. There's a lot of times people hurt me and they don't even know it. And then I carry around this root of bitterness. And I see that person, and it just creates this more bitter within me, bitterness within me. And then here's what happens, guys. If we allow that to take place, and this is what Pastor CJ talked a little bit about last week, and this is what we're going to, this is where we're really going to develop this more. What is on the inside is going to always come out. It's it, it's a principle. It's 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 like the principle of what you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever's on the inside is going to come out on the outside. That's essentially the message for today. And so today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 in the ESV, it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they, be, they will be what? Called the sons of God. They will be called the sons of God. I find it very interesting. This is just the way the Spirit of God works, that Melissa brings up that pass, the passage of Luke uh, that we're going to use today. Uh, about Jesus in the boat. Because I want to tell you something, guys. Um, well, let me just read this in the, this next passage where he's in the boat. I'm going to elaborate on this passage of Scripture. But it says this. Uh, he says, Late that day he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. They took him in the boat as he was. I've often thought about what that meant. As he was. What does that mean, as he was? Why did they include that? But then it goes on to say, other boats came along, and then this huge storm came up, and then the waves pound, or poured, I should say, into the boat, threatening to sink it. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, what? Sleeping. They roused him, saying, teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going down? (laughs) These dudes are scared. 
So let me, let me just, let's bring this back and let's take a look at this for a second. They are extremely scared, right? And fearful. Just like you and I would be in a boat when the waves start pouring in, the waves start pounding, the wind starts pounding and all these things happen and, and you know, it's kind of like watching the deadliest catch and you're sitting there watching this and you're like, how in the world can these dudes make a living at this thing? I mean, it would just scare the bahoodles out of me all the time, right? And then you got a cat that's sleeping on the stern or in the stern, whatever it's. How is that possible? I think it's possible because Jesus had so much peace within, like the song we just sang, that everything else around him, he was at peace with. Does that make sense? Because what was on the inside came to the outside. He was at peace. He knew God was in control. He knew that he was in control. The Father was in control. He knew, he knew it. He had such peace to the point, and I don't want to really camp out on this, but to the point where he challenged his disciples, you know, like, you don't have enough faith? I'm thinking, holy cow, I'm glad I wasn't there. I, I mean, who wouldn't have been scared? And he's, but what he's saying is, wait a minute, if you truly believed, if you truly knew, if you truly knew who was in control, you would have the same peace I'm having. You could sleep through any storm. And like Melissa said, you know, it may not be physical storms that we're facing, but some of us are sitting here this morning where we've had storm after storm, wave after wave that's pounding our boat. Some of us are sitting here this morning, we're stinking depressed. Because we live in a broken world. And relationships don't go the way they should go. Job situations don't go the way they should go. I mean, name it. All these things that take place within our lives that continue to just pound us and pound us and pound us and to the point to where you're just like, holy cow, I just want to give up. I want to throw... I just, how can he be sleeping? And Jesus is saying, man, if you've got that peace, if you understand truly if you, that God is in control, He's going to meet you. He's going to deliver you. He's going to take you through the valley at times to get to a better place. And the question becomes, how do, we, how do we navigate that? How do we navigate that? How do we navigate when someone is hurting us and ripping us apart? How do we extend peace? How do we become a peacemaker in situations like that? Because what's on the inside is always going to come out on the outside. So the, the first point is this. What, what's in you is always going to come out. I just want to go through these next three, few slides very quick. What is always on the inside is going to come out? What is in you always going to come out? And it's going to shape the world. It's going to shape the world. It's like the parking lot test, right? Have you ever, have you ever, um, there's this thing called the parking lot test where you pull up and you see certain people's cars and you're like, oh my gosh, they're here. <laughs> you ever had that? You have. You're like, seriously? There goes my day. You know, or you walk in and you see, you're like, yeah, you're all excited about something. You see someone else is there and you're like, oh. Why? Because that person's not at peace on the inside at, at sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes there's a per what's on the inside of them is coming out, and it's like they're so unaware of their self, and you just want to sit them down and say, "Do you not see who you? Do you not see this? Because if I'm if if I have bitterness with inside of me, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. And people don't want to be around people like that. Maybe you're sitting in there this morning and someone needs to lean to you and say, Hey, that's you. Now don't, I don't know if I suggest that. So <laughs> just take 
strike that off the record. But do you know what I'm saying? Some people, it's like you get around them and you're like, man, you're always upset about something. There's always something negative coming out. What is the deal? It's because they're not at peace. They're not at peace with inside. And if you're not at peace with inside, it's always going to come out. There's a book that we've been that I've read, and a couple others others that, that, that in here that we've read before. It's called Anatomy of Peace and Leadership and Self Deception, and it's written by secular authors, but they're hammering on the truth. All, all truth is God's truth, right? And what they what they say basically say is this: when you have a heart at war, you're either going to have a heart at war or a heart at peace. When you have a heart at war, man, you're coming into situations, you're coming into conversations, you're coming into situations, and you're ready to attack. I mean, it's it's going to come out. But when you have a heart of peace and you trust God, man, everything works out. Man, you become this peacemaker. You're able to forgive. You're able to let go. You don't have to own everything. And you're able to just just allow God to flow through you. That's why I believe Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they that have peace on the inside. And here's the kicker, guys. It all starts with God. It all starts with God. I think you can kind of track this a little bit. There's three things. You can, um, you're, you're at peace with God, you're at peace with yourself, and then you're at peace with other individuals. If any of those three are off, the whole thing is off, right? You can't, ha- you can't have peace with yourself and peace with others without having peace with God because that's where the peace really truly starts. That is salvation. That's the plan of salvation, essentially. When we're born into this world, Romans 3.23, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're enemies with God. We're absolute, we don't have peace with God when we're in that situation. Some of us are sitting here this morning. We're never going to have peace within because we don't have peace with God. That's where it starts. And so the first thing is, is, is that you have to surrender to God to say, God, what you say is true. I am a sinner. I fall short of you. I fall short. And I recognize that you have, have bridged that gap. I recognize that you've provided this, this way for me to have a relationship with you, to have this peace. And I acknowledge that. And I'm surrendering my life to you. And once you do that, you now have peace with God. You're no longer God's enemies. That or enemy. That's where it all starts. And then when you have peace with God, that enables you to have peace with yourself. Your heart becomes a heart of peace. Because you're not, you know, you, that's where it, it just all begins. And then when you have peace with God and peace with yourself, with your external world, you have peace. You're an individual that just comes and naturally makes peace. Now, I get that that's going to be hard at times. I really do. I understand we live in a broken world. I understand that people say things. I understand that people maliciously want to hurt us at times. I get that. I understand it. And I understand the struggle of it. But at the end of the day, it comes down to when we truly believe, just like that song we sang, when we truly believe that God is in control, it is well with my soul. So what? Someone hurt me. And I'm not minimizing it because believe me, I'm a feeler. And I understand what it feels like. But at the end of the day, if I truly understand that God is in control, regardless, doesn't that bring peace? So someone hurts me. Okay, God, you need to take care of this because I'm hurt. And giving it to God. And now, instead of allowing bitterness, seeds of bitterness to plant itself within, I can um, release it to God. I read something this week and I thought it was just, I thought it was fabulous. You may think, well, that's really, 
That's really a no-brainer. But listen to this. Someone said, if you truly want to have peace, this is where accountability and community really comes in. Because if you're, if you're walking in an accountability relationship with someone, and, and you, you begin to, you begin to um, um, really commit to say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I know what your vice is. I know where your weakness is at. And I'm committed to praying for you. And then when Satan comes and begins to tempt you about something like your vice... You commit to pray, praying for that, under, that other individual for his vice. You see how that works? Where Satan's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So every time I become tempted, then it triggers me to pray for someone else, pray for this other person that, I, that I'm walking with, and I'm, I'm committed to praying for them every time I'm tempted. It's kind of like that thing where you realize, I'm not so sure Satan's going to continue to tempt me, right? Because I'm holding this cat up over here in prayer every time Satan tempts me. You see how that works? But that's where, that's where our heart starts becoming at peace when we, when we release these things to God and we realize that He is in control. And I think this is the whole passage, you know, the whole passage that, you know, in this, this storm where Jesus is laying asleep, of course He's going to lay, be able to rest through all this stuff because His heart is completely at peace. Let me ask you a question. What, how would people describe you? Would they describe you as a person that, that has a heart at peace? And I'm talking. I'm not talking about. Well, they're a really likable person, you know. And I get. You know, we're all likable, right? We're all likable. But would a person look at you and say, "That person has a heart at peace. That person must have this intimate relationship with God because that person has a heart of peace." Would they describe you as such? Or would they say, well, that's just who they are. You know what I mean? That person's kind of short. Not stature, but, you know, like attitude. That person's kind of short. But that's just who they are. You just got to accept them for that. Why? As, as a Christ follower, that's not what God's calling us to. He's calling us to have, have this, these the, the hearts of peace to be peacemakers. I can't think of a better one of the better compliments if someone would look at me and say that Gail has a heart at peace. He's a peacemaker. I get that we're human, but I would love for that to be you know someone would define me as that because here's what happens, guys. When our heart, this is Bill Johnson says this. He's a he's a pastor out in um, Bethel Church in California. He says this, and I think Pastor CJ shared this with you last week. But he says this: the external has to submit to the internal peace. The external always has to submit to the internal peace. And what that is saying is this, guys. If you are a peacemaker, if your heart is at peace, if you're at peace with God, you're at peace with yourself, and you're at peace with others, your external is going to be changed. It can't help but be changed. That's why sometimes when we walk into the rooms, the rooms start to get really chaotic. It's because we bring in this tension. I've been told that by my wife at times with my family. You know what? You come in and you... I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? You come in the room and you get, all, you get the kids all wired up. What happened to you today? And I'm thinking, yeah, my heart's not at peace. That hurts. Because what's on the inside is going to determine the external. And I know what some of us are thinking right now. 
we think that that's not going to happen. Well, that doesn't always happen all the time. Absolutely. Because you're going to leak. Whatever's on the inside is going to leak to the outside. You're going to create an environment around you. That's why I'm saying the parking lot test. When you see certain cars and you're like, oh gosh. Or do you see certain cars and you're like, I can't wait to go in and talk to them. Like coming here and joining together, you may see certain cars or as you walk in you see certain faces and you're like, man, I'm so happy to see them. I'm so happy to see you because they bring peace within your life. They bring this sense of encouragement within your life because they're such at peace, they are changing the external around them. That's a principle that we can't we can't, we can't say it doesn't exist because that's what's going to happen if our hearts are at peace. The external is going to, the, the internal is always going to change the external. I was talking to someone this past week that's in the medical field and it was very interesting what they said and I don't know to what degree that I really buy into or to what degree I believe into it, but I, but I definitely believe, you know, the, the kind of the concept of what they're saying. They were talking about as they work with the human body, they said that they have to be very careful. And they used the words, uh, I have to be grounded. Because if I'm not grounded, as I work on another person, I can take on their energy. That kind of sounds a little new, new age-ish, doesn't it? You know? And I don't know how far I would you know, buy into it. I mean, they, literally they said, if I'm working with someone that's got a migraine headache, there's times where I'll go home and have a migraine headache. And they'll, they'll say that transferred to them. I'm not so sure how far I would take that. But that very concept, I thought, you know, that's exactly what we're talking about this week where my internal is going to change the external around me. Uh, you come in and have a conversation with me. You may leave, you may be in the dumps, and you may leave very, very encouraged because my internal has been an internal peace, and I pass that on to you. Does that make sense? I think that's very real. For some of us, we, we spread toxic. It leaks out, and we spread this toxic stuff, and, and people come in, and it's just like they're they're wired when they leave because it's like, that's who we are. We're not at peace. So the question becomes for us, you know, what, uh, what identifies us? You know, when I ask, how would someone who, you know, if you ask someone who, who you know, to describe us, how would they describe us? And, and, and it goes to this, this, you know, what it is, it identifies us. So it's like, it's, it's this, it says, um, the, you, what identifies you is either you're going to be sons of culture or you're going to be sons of God. Because in Isaiah 32:17, and we can read about this in Galatians, we can read about it throughout the New Testament, but in Isaiah um, uh, chapter 32, verse 17, it says this, The fruit of that righteousness, hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, the fruit of that righteousness will be peace. You want peace? Hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Because God's not a God of unrest, right? He's a God of peace. And the fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. I love that verse. The fruit of the righteous will be peace. Paul talks about it in Galatians. One of the fruits of the spirit, fruit of the spirit is what? Peace. That's so the question becomes are we going to be sons of God? Or are we going to be sons of the culture, the dominant culture that we just talked about? When we're sons of God. We are going to exude peace. We're going to leak peace. We're going to leak mercy. We're going to leak love. We're going to leak all this fruit that He 
that He uh, is able to manifest within our lives because we're surrendered to Him. And, and that fruit is going to become our characteristic. That's why, um, you know, Jesus says you're going to know other people by the fruit that they bear. Now, I get some of us will say, well, don't judge me. No one's judging you. You've got fruit hanging off your tree that may not be peace. It may be anger. It may be contempt. It may be bitterness. It may be all these other things. And no one's judging you. They're just saying that's who you... I mean, that's... That's, that, that's who you are. That's what you're bearing. That's if you're sons of culture. But if you're sons of God, you're going to bear the things, the fruit of God. As the worship team comes back, we're going to close with one last song. And um, I pray that you just use it as an opportunity to, to, um, to just ask yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to, 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 um, to guide your thoughts and your mind right now. You know, what it, you know who am I? And, you know, how would someone look at me? In the parking lot test, if someone would see my car, do they look at me and say, there's a peacemaker. There's someone who's able to forgive. There's someone that's able to look at things and say, you know what, in the scope of eternity, some of this stuff really doesn't matter and I'm just going to trust God with it because God's in control and He will deal with these things. Let Him deal with them. And consequently then what happens is your heart becomes a heart, instead of a heart at war, you have a heart of peace. I want to tell you something. If you have a heart of peace, that's contagious. Well, both of it's kind of contagious, but that's really contagious because I want to tell you something. When I'm around people like that, I, I want to gravitate towards you. Because we don't live in a world like that. We live in a world that's the sons of the culture where they're not exuding peace and grace and righteousness and all these other things. They're exuding um, the negative side of stuff. So, what identifies you? Are you a sons of the culture or the sons of righteousness? Now, let me say this real quick. The only way you can ha- be... Uh, the sons of God, obviously, is to have a relationship with God. And it's not this casual, passive relationship that's going to cut it. Jesus, you know, uh, talks about this in, in Luke's Gospel. He says, you've got to commit to this. You've got to commit everything that you have to this. I want it all. I don't want half. I don't want three quarters. I don't want two thirds. I want 100%. I want it all. Because when you commit to it the whole way, and he, and he goes on to say, and I think this is, I think this is um, all part of it too, where he says, you know, uh, wide is the path to destruction. I mean, it's pretty easy to gravitate towards destruction, right? But narrow is that path that leads towards eternal life. Narrow is that path. Because many of us, we're kind of in it, and we're kind of like God's just another, maybe another thing within our lives. Our commitment with Jesus is just another thing within our lives. We think, well, that's a good thing we need to do. We need to have a relationship with God, so I'll just kind of throw that in the mix. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm not just something else that you're going to throw in the mix. It's all or nothing. I want it all. And that is a very narrow... Um, it's very narrow. But the people who commit to that are people who become sons of God. And the peop- those types of people bear God fruit. And you become a peacemaker, for one. And your life becomes blessed. Your life becomes blessed. We need more peacemakers. So, I don't know where you're at, but it all starts with having this, being at peace with God, for starters. There's no way you're going to be able to bear peace if you're not at peace with God. That's that's so integral 
So maybe today's the day you're going to take that first step and say, you know what? I've been playing this game. I've even been showing up to church. I've even been doing some of the spiritual disciplines. But at the end of the day, my heart's really not at peace with God. I haven't fully committed my life to God. And maybe today's the day the Holy Spirit's going to grab a hold of your heart. You're going to connect with Him. And you're going to leave here as a son of God. And you're going to bear His fruit. And you're going to become critical in changing the world around you because what's inside of you comes out. And it's the fruit of God coming out. Maybe you're in here this morning, you're a son of God, but you're beat down. And I just want to say, God is here. His Spirit is here to minister to you. And He wants you to have a peace at heart. You know, you you have uh, this heart of peace. And maybe it just comes to saying, you know what, God, I've, I've, I've gotten off track. So I don't, I don't know what, I mean, you may be sitting here this morning and you're on the mountaintop. If you're on the mountaintop in here this morning and you get everything I'm saying and you've guarded against this and you know exactly what I'm talking about, would you please just take a minute right now and begin to pray within your heart? Because there are people sitting around you that need to experience and encounter this peace that we're talking about. And I believe the enemy, Satan, wants to deceive Because that's the last thing he wants people to experience is a heart at peace. Because you're going to change your world around you. You're external and your heart is at peace and you become a peacemaker. And that's the last thing that he wants for you to have anything that's blessed. He wants to continue to deceive you, continue to tell you that's not the direction you need to go to have peace. And it's a lie. And so I pray that we would just pray for uh, individuals that need, for those in here this morning that need to hear the voice of Jesus this morning. So would you please, if you're if you're dancing on the mountaintop, would you please just spend a few moments praying as we close our time here. And guys, if you're sitting in here this morning, you don't have a heart at peace, man. Jesus is offering it to you today. You're not sitting in here by chance. You're not sitting in here by by coincidence and hearing this message. It is specifically meant for you to hear it today. You're here for a reason. I believe that with all my heart. And so I want to close our time here today with just or this particular point of the service uh, with a word of prayer. So if you would, just please bow your heads and your hearts. And um, let's pray. To, let's just pray. Jesus, I thank you for the words that you have for us today. And um, Father, this is kind of a very simplistic message, but extremely hard. It's kind of a no-brainer. You know, it's, it's so, you, know, you hear these things and it's like, yes, 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 I've heard this. And cognitively we all get it. But man, when it travels that 80, 18 inches into our hearts where it literally determines behavior, man, it becomes so difficult. And I pray for your strength here this morning. I pray that people would hear your voice through your spirit right now. Father, we're the people sitting in here this morning that need that need a special message from you, I pray that you would just communicate that to them right now, whispering it into their ears through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray where lives need to recommit. I pray where lives need to commit for the first time. I pray for courage for them. I pray that they would stop listening to Satan, not buying into his lies and deception. And Father, they would see the truth this morning as the Holy Spirit reveals to them Father, they might place complete trust in you and begin to experience a blessed life. So wherever we are, 
Jesus, we have complete trust knowing that you will minister, that you are ministering in this room right now. And as we uh, sing this last song, I pray that it would be a song of prayer, that we might just either reconnect with you or, or pray diligently for others to connect with you. But we would just give you ultimate praise and glory. And I ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.